Can you heal from abuse? What do I do after leaving my narcissist? What does a healthy relationship look like? These concerns cross the minds of over 20 people every minute, over 28,800 people every day. And the sad fact is, we still don't talk about it enough. Healing from emotional abuse isn't a band-aid situation, but it doesn't have to take years either. The lives of millions of other survivors around the world have been impacted by their narcissist. Yours doesn't have to. To show you how to live a free, confident, and peaceful life, your host and founder of the Healing from Emotional Abuse philosophy, Marissa F. Cohen. Welcome back to Breaking Through Our Silence. I am so excited. June is one of my favorite months because I am a pride freak. I love Pride Month. And so every week this month, starting this week, I'm going to bring on an amazing person from the LGBTQ community to help me co-host, tell their story, talk about how we can help the LGBTQ community with the people and survivors and champions who are abused, get the help and reassurance that they need. Today, I am thrilled to bring on Frances Wade. She's a musician and an educator. She has been a long-standing fighter for social justice and shedding light to anyone who she can help or represent when their voices aren't being heard. She's a friend to all and constantly acts as a progressive figure in education, the arts, and more. Welcome. We're so excited to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. So let's get started a little bit. Would you mind sharing your truth with us? So really, it's, you know, nothing too extraordinary. Um, been an artist my whole life, um, visual art, music, anything like that. And um, I would say that's a huge portion of who I am. And I identify as bisexual. And say that with pride. <laughs> <laughs> and that is really it. <laughs> Okay, that's awesome. So I, I'm a big art fan and I'm super jealous of musicians because I can't play an instrument to save my life, although I try. Um, <laughs> so thank you for being here. Would you tell us a little bit about what you went through? Yes. So long story short, I did lose a parent in my early 20s and I always identified with that parent you know, our personalities, things like that were very similar, who we were. So I was about 13 when I was in my first same-sex relationship. You know, it, it was something where I wasn't really sure because I was young. I was in middle school. And, you know, it ended badly, of course. And then high school, I just kind of like didn't really let that part of me live. So when I was an adult and I was going through all this stuff, basically a very manipulative person um kind of got an inkling about who I was what I was into and you know it was like love bombs like I felt like I was seen for the first time I felt like I all of me was there I felt like every piece of me was seen and everything was um you know appreciated and it got to the point where I was like okay like maybe this could be a good relationship I was actually on and off with this one male for about 10 years you know high school middle school college we ended kind of for good before that. So when I got into the relationship, um, there was a lot of pressure where I was kind of still hidden. I didn't really want to be all that open. And that's really who I am in general. I'm a very private person and I like to kind of keep things to myself. So whenever we were out or whenever like, um, you know, my family came up, 
and I wanted to be private or maybe I wasn't ready to tell this person, it would turn to like kind of like this game where it was like, oh, well, you're, are you embarrassed by me? You know, you sure aren't embarrassed when blah, blah, blah. And it was very new to me. And like I said, a parent passed. So I was very vulnerable. And I was like, well, this person sees me and they like me. And she's constantly like showing me that. So I, way before I was ready, I was basically told, you know, you have to tell your other parent and this and this and this. And I only knew this person closely for a couple weeks, really. So maybe about a month. So I was kind of unsure where it was going. And I didn't want to like jump through that hoop. Because to me, I was like, well, I don't really know where this is going. I don't know like if this is something I'm even comfortable with. Because again, it's a lot different when you're like 13, kind of unsure. And then you go to being in your mid-20s, you know? So long story short, I told the parent, you would have thought I killed somebody. And I think a lot of people in the community can relate to that, you know, where a parent or even a family member who's like a parent to them is disgusted. They act like you killed somebody. They just say, oh, so you're gay, this and that. Like it's one extreme or another. So first it was my family that seemed to turn against me. And, you know, I think they had an inkling that I could be queer, but um, what really sucks about it is that when it comes to head and, and you're open about it, you might not always get the support you need. So that was damaging because I am very close to my family and I was never like a problem child. If anything, I was probably the most easy one <laughs> out of my siblings. So long story short, that definitely put a damper in everything. So after that, I felt like there was this upper hand that always existed where, oh, are you embarrassed to me? And I'd be like, no, you know, if you were out and I saw old friends, how come you didn't introduce me to them as your girlfriend, this and that? And I was like, listen, like, you've been out a long time. I'm like just getting used to it. And I felt like it was more about her than me. Like my comfort came second. So as time went by, alcohol was a really big thing. I think no matter what kind of relationship you're in, same sex or not, it's a problem when one person or both drink. So our first like big fight, we were out and um, I remember I was talking about something I did as a musician and I was proud of it. and art you know my visual art was also a part of this experience and it was local and right away she was kind of talking down to me acting like I was exaggerating well I don't really think you would do something so big like that you know and I wouldn't have known about it and meanwhile like our ages you know there was a little gap I'm trying not to be too specific but the bottles kept emptying and it turned into oh, well, you probably are lying. You're not really a musician because you're also on the educator side. You're not touring, which I actually did tour around the world before, but whatever. Um, so it kind of, the abuse turned more into like, I would question my worth because any outstanding thing I did for myself, oh, I always needed proof of it. I always had to back myself up. Um, I never could be the one in the relationship who, um, you know, had, had accomplishments that outweighed what she was doing. And again, I don't think it's just in the community. So now moving towards the community, being bisexual, um, especially when you're a female, 
it always was like, oh, that's disgusting. Like you've had men inside you, you've kissed men, like you're going to leave me for a man, this and that. And I think in the community, that's something you do see a lot being a woman who is bisexual. You're, you're kind of seen as this like not fully queer character in this line of their story or whatever. And that really bothered me because it doesn't mean that I need one or the other. It's not like that. You know, if I meet someone I'm into, I want to stay with them no matter what. And I think that's very common in those relationships because she did identify as full-on lesbian, never been with a male. That's definitely something that seemed to be a problem very openly. And even if I saw like an ex or like a guy friend, oh, who's that, you know? And it, it became very possessive too, in some extent. So the real abuse started as summer and the weather started warming up, we would go out more and alcohol was a huge problem, like I said before. So we would go out and she'd always invite me out with her friends. And um, one night it was getting close to her birthday she texted me and said, hey, I'm out at this place with these people. Can you come join us? So I go, sure. So I get there and right away we're talking about like her birthday, things like that. She was saying in front of all her friends, oh, no one's doing anything for my birthday. She doesn't want to do anything for my birthday. And I had plans actually. And I was like, hey, like it was a surprise, you know, right away. It turns into like, oh, well, you didn't tell me that. And I was like, of course not. It was a surprise. So then like, again, even though I nicely intended for something to happen, it turned into this like, well, I didn't know about it. So it's not good. So we drove to another bar to meet her friends. And I was like, okay, maybe like if we get out of this one place, like get some air, things will be better. So she starts smoking in my car. I'm severely asthmatic. Um, as you can probably hear in my voice, I, I don't do well when it's humid or anything. So I said, please don't smoke in my car. And then she's like putting it out on my seat, just like totally disrespecting me. And then she made a comment and goes, you know, you might try to act like the hero and like you do these nice things for me in front of people. But I'm just saying, if I wasn't with you, no one would want to date you. You might be prettier than me. You might be more educated and you might have a better career than me. But ultimately no one, you're just a pretty face and no one would put up with you like I do. And you know, there was so much more that night that was said. So when we got to the other restaurant, you know, when it's kind of like this time of year, some nights it gets cold. So it was a weird night. It, it dropped down to about, I'd say like low 40s. And it was kind of random. But anyhow, so when we got to the other bar, she was like, oh, you know, you should leave. No one wants you here, blah, blah, blah. And this was after, you know, the car ride getting very verbally abused and pushed down so I go you know what I'm gonna leave and she goes then leave so I left and um then she texted me about an hour later and this was something she loved doing but I'll get into that in a minute she texted me and goes how could you leave and embarrass me like that all my friends think you're an asshole this and that and it was like I couldn't win either I had to submit to this abuse constantly and like play it off like it didn't upset me and sit through it when like I really cared about this person or if I did do something to get myself out of it I was 
I was just as bad, you know, I was the bad guy. So it was like a mind game. Um, if I was with other friends, especially females, I would get accused of cheating. And at the time I was living kind of far away for work weekends, you know, I would come back to this area and stay there. So, oh, you're sleeping with your friends up there. And like this person's gay. One of my friends actually was pregnant at the time. And, um, she convinced her sister to message my friend and basically outed me to find out like if we had something going on. And my friend was like, well, I didn't know because again, like she doesn't need to tell me these personal things. And two, like, why would you think she was doing something with me? Like I'm pregnant. And my friend actually didn't want anyone to know she was pregnant, but in order to stick up for me, you know, she had to kind of out herself as well before she was ready. And that's really what a lot of it was. It was control. And when I said like, don't you think it's messed up that you convinced a sibling to like, get pry and stuff um she couldn't see it so really it was a lot of narcissism it was a lot of mental abuse and physical abuse i grew up with brothers they always were beating on me so you know when someone gets in my head and messes with me personally it's it's a bit harder and i think a lot of the reason why i stayed was because this was my first relationship with a same-sex person and i was scared that i was going to get exposed i was scared that you know those restricted calls in the middle of the night would turn into a Facebook status because she was drunk and wanted all this buildup. She wanted all this like public uh, attention to like me and her. And that was something that scared me. And we were just fundamentally different people. And, you know, she was going through her own stuff at the time. I'm not going to deny that. But I feel like because it was really my first time with someone like that, it, it affected me differently. And another thing was, you know, with my friends being female, I feel like that always fell into the equation. I couldn't have any female friends. I couldn't have any male friends because I was bi. If there's any questions you have or want me to expand a little more, but that was just a somewhat but not really brief overview of what I went through. How did this relationship impact future relationships for you? So what's funny is I'm talking about how abusive it was and things like that it kind of pushed me down. So my relationships after that were very similar where I, you know, not to the same degree. It was a lot of myself wasn't in it. I would drive an hour to meet my partner. I would not care if they hurt me. I would let them dump me and take me back when I knew I would just get left again. And it was kind of like a string of behavior that just wasn't really... I guess a good way to say it is I just felt like I didn't know that I deserved better. I didn't see value in myself. And it was a long-term effect where last year, and again, this is years later, I was in a relationship where I was being cheated on. And I even that, I was like, you oh, know, it's okay. You know, like we can get through it. And now that I am in a healthy relationship, I look back and I'm just like, how did I not see my worth? How did I not know that this wasn't okay for me? How, how did I let a series of relationships happen where I was being, you know, they weren't caring about me. I was being neglected. I was being ignored. I was being mistreated. And I think a lot of people don't realize that you really do reach this point where you feel low. You feel kind of like you're undeserving of better things and you, you kind of settle is a way to put it. 
that's a really good way to put it actually i think a lot of people it happens to so many people we have this abuser who demeans us and belittles us and makes convinces us that we're worthless and then we take that and run with it it impacts every part of our lives it impacts our confidence level it impacts our self-talk and it impacts our choices so that's a really good point that you made thank you and a lot of it was physical too you know she would coerce me into acts I didn't want to do and it always was like oh are you not attracted to me because I'm not a guy and I was like no you know there were times where she would get physical I remember one time I was tickling or trying to cheer her up and just be light about something and she actually put her knees on my legs and held my arms down and said you know you might be stronger than me and do sports and blah 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 and work out but I could take you and I was like oh my god we got in a fight one time and I drove over from an hour away at like 4 a.m. to try to fix it and brought food and she just like threw it and you know when you're younger you're a lot less likely to stand up for yourself and this was again my first relationship so of that sort so I mean you know it was like a control thing and I think sometimes in these settings you know you don't it's not that you don't know better it's just Sometimes when you feel like you're being seen for the first time, you're afraid you're going to lose that with your identity. And I also think that had a huge factor into it in sticking by. So you brought up a couple interesting points, but before, before I lose it out of my mind, I really liked how you just said the fear of losing yourself is something that really held you to her. Would yes. you mind expanding on that a little bit? Because... I find that so interesting. Yeah, sure. So um, there, there was actually a meme floating around, funny enough. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't really come out or mention that part of myself till I was in my mid-20s. And, um, you know, I'm older now. But so what happened was when I kind of came out and started letting that little part of myself live, I felt like because she was my partner, because she knew that it was hard for me, and sometimes she was supportive, you know, that's the thing with narcissists. Sometimes they're everything you need and more. Other times it's like Jekyll and Hyde, you know? So I felt like those pieces of myself, going back to that me myself, where it's like you, you kind of have to select and present these parts of yourself that fit society and fit everyone around you. And you have to kind of hide parts of yourself. So being seen for the first time, it was like this thing that I felt like in the past I had to hide, this thing I felt like didn't exist, you know, in college, I only dated males. I, I didn't even tell people, you know, my closest friends didn't even know because I just felt like from when I was younger, the way my parents would ask, oh, you must be gay because you can't keep a boyfriend. It was, it was like the first relationship where I didn't have to think about that. And I was unforgivably myself. I was able to be who you know, this half of me is without anyone saying anything in the relationship or when I was with males, you know, they kind of had a just, you know, it was like, oh, you're going to leave me for a girl. And that's something I find with bisexuality is sometimes, you know, whatever gender you're with will compare themselves to the other. So even though she would make rude comments and say things like, oh, you're going to leave me for a man, there was also this other side of it where it was like, oh, well, I know it must be hard because you only dated men, things like that. And um, I could talk about these things. And it was like the other side 
you know, it wasn't a man talking about, well, what if you were a female type of thing? It was, yeah, I know you've only been with men, but in this relationship, it's a little more emotionally invested. It's a little more mentally, you're, you're more locked in where sometimes with males, you know, it might feel more physical or you might go to your female friends for those talks or those emotional, you know, whatever points where it's, it's almost like you're dating your best friend, but you know, you're both not free. <laughs> so I would say I, I felt very seen because of that. And parts of myself that I hid for like 25, 26 years were there. And that's, that's really what it was. I really, I really appreciate that. I think that that's so important, especially for somebody who grows up not in like a very supportive household for the LGBTQ community to have that support that is you're seen and you're heard and you're acknowledged as you, as 100% completely you, but it yep. still needs to be healthy. One thing about me is I was, you know, my, my childhood could be rough at times and I was always, and having brothers, I was always pushed to be tough. I was always pushed to not cry because it wasn't practical. It wasn't rational to cry. Why are you whining? So I think that for the first time I felt vulnerable and that it was okay to feel vulnerable. And unfortunately, sometimes, like you were saying, when when you are allowing yourself to be seen, when you are like your, your true <laughs> colors are there, it's awful because sometimes the wrong person will see that and jump all over it and say like, okay, I got an in, this person's vulnerable. This, And, you know, going through what I went through earlier that year, it, or maybe it was a year before, I don't remember, but um, it turned into one of those things where it was like a perfect opportunity for this narcissistic abusive person to really jump in and take control. Like it's like being a puppet, you know, <laughs> it felt that way. Right. I have a, a suspicion or a hunch, if you will, that abusers, they have like these radar glasses, right? And they can see who's emotionally vulnerable and those are their targets. They like Absolutely. target the people that, that, yeah, that show that emotional vulnerability. Yep, exactly. And it, it first it was like, oh, that's so beautiful. Like, you know, you're this artist person. You're so deep. And it was like a love. And I always say the term love bomb. You know, they saw it. They see you for you. They make you feel like the things that maybe they knew you were uncomfortable with in the past are now like this treasure they have but then in the same breath it's like oh my gosh like you could be so dramatic and you feel too much and then you're like but that was the very thing I thought you liked you know so whenever we get in fights and I would come over in the middle of the night or like I would get those FaceTime messages because you know she wanted to make sure no one was in the room with me oh well turn your phone that way let me see are they hiding behind the bed go over there it was almost stifling. Like it made me just freeze sometimes. If I was out with other friends, I would get these restricted calls in the middle of the night. And if I didn't answer, I called you. Why didn't you answer? And I'd be like, well, I didn't know it was you. Of course it was me. How do you not know? And I'm like, because it was restricted. There are these expectations too, where it's like, you don't know what part of yourself to be. So what's so funny is at the same time, I'm saying how seen I felt this and that. But then it was like, these mind tricks they were so exhausting when the relationship ended it was about a year a little less maybe um I, I told some of my friends I feel like I lost a year of my life because it was just so exhausting and I was just tired thank you so much for sharing all of that I really appreciate it so I want to talk about your family a little bit how does family support play a role in healing as an LGBTQ member 
Um, you mean like from that relationship? And yeah. So yeah. So you said that your family wasn't very supportive of you, and that probably impacted or did it impact? Yes. How you healed or who you communicated to? Yes. And I know you're saying healed, but that's kind of the funny thing. So while I was going through all this trauma, your family member who you. I would say, you know, if you're lucky, a lot of people do use their family is who heals them and their family is who um, they go to when things are wrong, where because this relationship wasn't really approved, I felt like I couldn't talk about it. It was very awkward. It was very tense all the time. And, you know, maybe there was some sort of feeling that it was unhealthy and it wasn't talked about. I don't know. Um, Again, I was younger by a lot of years, so... You know, it was like this grown person kind of was with me. And I know that was concerning, but regardless. So whenever I was hurt or I was sad or I was scared that she was going to come to my house and like try to pick a fight with me, I couldn't really go to anybody. So it was really just you're alone. You're by yourself and you're not seen. You're not represented by anyone who knows you super well in, you know, inside and out. So a lot of healing was self-healing. I could say that a lot of it was from friends. And for anyone who is in a situation like this, even if it's not with a relationship, but feels alone, you know, um, there there's even Facebook groups for these sorts of things. And I would say a lot of it came from outside sources. And I've made it, it really amazing friends and allies along the way. And it even strengthens some of my friendships who I talked to for the first time about these things. Because, you know, when you're with a narcissistic person and they want to be seen by everybody, they want all your close friends to know about them. It turned into like, my close friends saw what was happening. And when I told them, they kind of took me under their wing. And the fact I could show them my vulnerable side and how hurt I was, I really felt like that actually strengthened some relationships. And when the relationship ended, I talked to my family a little bit and I kind of felt like I was back and things were starting to feel normal. And then of course, at the time, my now ex was saying, um, oh, they're just happier now with a female. Like it has nothing to do with me. So I would say as far as healing goes, reaching out to friends, things like that really is what helped me. And it sucks because you'll look back and think, well, my family wasn't there, but sometimes you find your family along the way. I'm a true deep believer that your family isn't always your blood especially in situations with homophobes or people who are anti-LGBTQ and then they have a child who identifies as LGBTQ. Unfortunately, that's not your real family. Your real family, to me, is your heart family. It's the people who, like you said, who have your back and who you can be vulnerable around and who you can tell your stories to and, and will support you no matter what. It's, it's not so much even that my own family was anti, you know, LGBTQ, but it was really more so that it was their child. And that's another thing, you know, you can have a very progressive, very supportive parent. If you look at today's world, Black Lives Matter, you know, it's, there's a lot of attention to race and things like that. And luckily, that's something we all agree on in my intermediate family is there has been mistreatment and all sorts of things. Whereas with the gay pride, my parents, they always had gay friends, transgender friends, drag queen friends, never really anything that was negative until I existed in my full. So I can definitely say too, it's, it's different when it's their own child sometimes. That's an interesting point. I've actually never really 
I guess I, I don't have children, but I never noticed that or heard about that, that people who support the LGBTQ community can't fathom or can't get behind their child who identifies that's so foreign to me. Yeah, um, and that's that's another thing too sometimes because it, it is complicated, you know, and some parents, they might go to therapy, they might be very open about figuring it out, and then some, depending just on their makeup, they might not. And as time passed, it's more of an open thing that, you know, I wouldn't say it's talked about a lot, it's still kind of awkward, but I can say that it's it's definitely gotten better you know if it comes up it's not tense it's not negative it might not be positive and that's another thing too I think is you got to give people who might not accept it credit because at the end of the day your, your family most of the time loves you and for anyone out there listening I can say that it's it's scary you're gonna have to live with what happens like for me I'm still horrified but at the end of the day especially now that I'm older I, I can tell you it's it's going to be they want you happy. And it is an interesting angle because you it's hard to understand how someone can say they're supportive and say they're an ally, but then their own child or close family member, it gets, it does get complicated. And that's what I can say. You know, you can't say someone's a bad person because it's it's hard for them too. But at the same time, you do have to be true to you. Absolutely. That's such a good point. What do you think that, the survivor and champion community, people who have been through this, what can we do to be more inclusive, educational, and spread awareness to the LGBTQ community that this happens and that we're here for you? How can we make it not as... Like generalized? Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, like, and, and even telling what happened, I... I can definitely say there are generalizations. A narcissist is a narcissist. An abuser, abuser. You know what I mean? But it's it really is not black and white. And I think to answer your question, a big part of it is definitely recognizing some of the challenges we face day to day. We're, we're not seen. We're often uncomfortable in our own skin, even if we are in a relationship that suits you know our attractions. And I think a lot of it is understanding the different facets that come along with that. Maybe it is your first time feeling seen. Maybe it's your first relationship of that sort and you're going to ignore some red flags because you're you finally get a chance to feel yourself and that's that's a huge thing and I think another thing is talking about it um as an artist as an educator I'm in a lot of situations where like it could be about race religion it could be about different types of music it can be about different art styles and they're things that I might not identify with or really relate to but what I've found is you, you have to be willing to educate yourselves and understand you can com- comfortably talk about things without it always being negative. You know, it's, it's okay to be ignorant. It's okay to ask questions as long as you're not making it malicious. And if you are, it's important that the person answering the questions understands. People won't always un- know how to ask things. And sometimes we're so quick to be negative and think someone has a negative streak to what they're saying a lot of people say oh who's who's the guy who's the girl and sometimes you just gotta say listen we're both we're both women or oh she's dating a male now so she's straight right where you have to see people for who they are you have to understand like I said there's parts of you that will show when you're in different kinds of relationships so I would say my advice would be to listen put yourself in their shoes 
if it's uncomfortable, it's not bad. Sometimes learning is very uncomfortable. You know what I mean? Think of like a butterfly in a cocoon. It's dark. It's probably cold in there, but they come out beautiful. The world is theirs. So I always say like when it comes to learning and trying to assist people, do more listening, ask questions, and don't jump to conclusions. Right now in the world, there are so many conversations that needed to happen that are happening now. There are so many people that are showing their support for each other. And I'm not lumping the two together, but I'm just going to say the way we can progress as a large group is by talking about uncomfortable things and going there. And it's, it's awkward. It might be a lot, but in the end, you know, it's kind of what they say. What, what side do you want to be on of this? Do you want to be uninformed? Do you want to continue what's comfortable or do you want to grow? And I think even for me talking about this, you know, I've been very to myself about a lot of things and especially the abuse I faced, you know, I'm, I know people had it way worse than me, but um, I kind of compartmentalized it because, you know, you hear these horror stories of women being beat raped all sorts of awful things and to me it was more mental and it, and it would get physical at times but I think even expressing like why it hurts so much will teach people a lot and everyone has a different story so I think even if you don't feel like it's worth sharing just share it because people can relate to you and I would say that's the biggest thing is just have these conversations and listen that's one of the things that I, I really love to share is you never know who's listening. So like share your story, talk about what happened to you because you could be helping somebody without knowing exactly. and that we grow in, in discomfort. I really appreciate that you brought that up. It's uh, true. It is so true, you know, and especially as an artist, you, you have to put yourself out there and sometimes there's parts of yourself you're so proud of and you want recognition for what you created or what you presented to the world and people you know they don't bat an eye at it and other times when you're not even trying your hardest they they see you and that's all it could take is just like one little thing for me you know even just being able to talk about it if if one person listens to this and is like oh wow she made a good point even if it's something dumb I said that's really <laughs> what it's about is just don't be afraid to be there for people thank you so much for sharing all of this amazing oh, information no you're so insightful and so inspiring and uh, I appreciate you being here. Thank you so much, Francis. Your insight was incredible and I'm sure you're going to help a ton of people. Before I let you guys go, the Rue Approach Healing from Abuse is now available on Amazon and on my website. Jump in and grab your copy while it's still 75% off through the end of June 10th, today only. I'm so excited to release this work. It's the five steps that I use with all of my coaching clients to help them heal from abuse from beginning to end. If you have any questions, feel free to shoot me an email at me at marissafaycohen.com or follow any of the social media links in the description to this page and I'll get back to you as soon as I see it. Happy Pride and we'll chat next week.
If you enjoyed this podcast, you have to check out www.marissafaycohen.com backslash private dash coaching. That's www.marissafaycohen.com backslash private dash coaching. Marissa would love to develop a made for you healing plan to heal from emotional abuse. She does all the work and you just show up. Stop feeling stuck, alone and hurt and live a free, confident and peaceful life. Don't forget to subscribe to the Healing from Emotional Abuse podcast and follow us on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Marissa F. Cohen and Instagram at marissa.fay.cohen. We'd love to see you there.